When I was in college, majoring in television, a professor tasked the class with naming the different types of sitcoms. We rattled off a list that she wrote on the board, and when we were done, she said, yeah, that's all good, but also wrong. There's only one type of sitcom, a family sitcom. It was the first and remains the formula for every sitcom that has come after. We then spent a good chunk of the class naming different sitcoms and figuring out who in the cast was the mother, the father, the rebellious teen. But beyond being a fun way to pass the time, the exercise taught me a valuable lesson as a fan and amateur critic of TV and film. There are only so many stories to tell. Of course, formula is different than telling the literal same story again and again. And while it may seem like using a formula allows for more creativity and artistry, perhaps it's the other way around. Using the same formula creates the feeling of all films or TV or books being the same. Telling the same story through the changing lens of time or experience allows the storytellers more creative freedom within the confines of the plot. No film is more exemplary of this than A Star is Born. It makes sense that a story about fame gained and fame lost, love and partnership, addiction and grief would appeal to filmmakers. And while there have been many, many films to follow this same formula, this exact story has now been told four times in 80 years. So perhaps the interesting part is not each new interpretation, but that each time there has been an audience ready for a new retelling. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode for your reconsideration. I'm Devin. I'm Kyle. And usually we talk to you about past best picture races, but today instead we are looking at the story that Hollywood cannot stop remaking and we are re-examining each of those interpretations and giving them the four-year reconsideration treatment. And Kyle's super excited about it. I am. <laughs> so A Star is Born, you probably all know, just came out with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. But the first version came out in 1937, directed by William Wellman and produced by Selznick International Pictures, a.k.a. David O. Selznick. David O. Selznick picture. Yes. So the script was written by William Wallman, as well as Robert Carson, Dorothy Parker, and Alan Campbell. 
Uh, some film historians believe that the marriage of Barbara Stanwyck and Frank Fay was the film's real-life inspirations. John Bowers has also been identified as inspiration for the Norman Maine character and the dramatic suicide by drowning scene near the end of the film uh, because Bowers drowned oh, in 1936. Oh, yeah, we should probably say we're going to spoil all versions of A Star is Born. For um, good reason, though. Because, yeah. Again, the story's been told for 80 years, so. Not if all you haven't seen one of them. <laughs> right, right. This is, was the rule is that, like, if it's been, like, more than a year or something, it's not a spoiler. Right. So this movie came out in 1937. Right. <laughs> I'll say this right now. The new one doesn't fall far from the tree. No. Uh, so this film, the original A Star is Born, technically may not be the first A Star is Born because it has strong similarity to an earlier film called what price hollywood directed by george cooker that came out terrible in 1932 title. just terrible title and released by rko uh it was based on a story by adela rogers st john's and she based her plot on the experiences of actress colleen warner husband alcoholic producer john mccormick which i hope is what it said on his business cards <laughs> tombstone here lies alcoholic producer i already forgot his name right <laughs> um john mccormick what was that and i have to scroll oh it doesn't even matter <laughs> i didn't know you were so far past it was that, john mccormick yes okay so that movie came out in 1932 like i said directed by george cougar and the plots were so similar that rko considered suing selznick productions for plagiarism but ultimately decided not to and in a strange twist of fate, originally David Oselznick approached Cougar to direct A Star Is Born, but he didn't want to do it because it was too similar to the yeah. movie he had just made. But 17 years later, he made the 54 version of A Star Is Born. Crazy. So he li- he really liked that story. That's show business. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk about the 37 version of A Star is Born starring Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. Do you want to go first? Mm. No? Okay. No. Do you want me to just keep talking? Yep. I like it. I loved it. I thought it was very good. It's in Technicolor, which... What? Why are you laughing at me talking about... a weird thing to say. I loved it. It's in Technicolor. Well, it was like, just unlike pr- most movies I love. Yeah, in, in most, more unlike most movies in 1937. <laughs> That's fair. Which I do think is interesting because obviously, like David Oselznick was like a huge fan of Technicolor films. <laughs> I'm just saying he was making color films like long before anyone yeah, else was. He was on that train. He was. Mm-hmm. He's like color. It's the future. And he was right. No one else right. got on that train for like 30 more years. I don't know. They started doing it, but uh. <laughs> 60s right color films I'm, yeah i'm pretty sure maybe maybe we've reviewed i know okay. I mean, it was a <laughs> oh, joke oh, okay i'm sorry i can't tell with you sometimes <sighs> what was i talking about technicolor for some reason it's in technicolor because it's 1937 and i yeah. think that it is interesting that it's in technicolor for sure it looks good but i also think that kind of helps it uh feel a little bit more contemporary to being in color obviously yeah but um, so in the in the first two earlier versions, I guess like I'm not going to do a synopsis, obviously, for each of these because it's the same synopsis. Yeah. But like quick overview, like the basic plot is that this young up and coming talented girl gets discovered by like an aging 
talented man talented man <laughs> who's also an alcoholic i like how you're being vague because like it does, well, cha- yeah, it does change from like movie stars to, to song so singer songwriters yeah. yeah and uh and then he they fall in love and then his his fame falls away while hers grows bigger mm-hmm. until he ultimately kills himself yes those are the spoilers we were talking about <laughs> yeah and not because her fame got bigger but also in some way because her fame got bigger. Not that well, he was I like, think each movie they have different reasons why they do oh, it. Okay, honestly. good, good, good. Okay, but um, we shall dive in. We shall. So in in the first two, <laughs> in the first two, I see what you did there. <laughs> I didn't mean to though. I just realized it later. Uh, in the first two versions, it's um they're actors rather than musicians. Although the fifty four version is also a musical because of Judy Garland. But in this first one, the 37 one, it's just straight acting. No songs, no musicals. So I do feel like, I feel like this 37 version, even though it's the original, unless you count Price Hollywood. We're not. Which we're not. But like, this is the original one, but I feel like it also gets like discounted the most because the other three are so like, they have a lot more in common than this one does with the rest of them. Mm just like based off of music is in all of them. They're all musicals basically. And their stars are all like iconic. Yeah. Female yeah. singers. Whereas Janet Gaynor is great. Obviously like, Ooh, fun Oscars fact about Janet Gaynor. Mm. She was the first woman to ever win an Oscar. Awesome. Yes. That is a fun fact. Now, are we not doing the typical fun facts after talking about every movie then? Oh, I already did my little fun facts about this. I talked about cool. Price Hollywood. And oh, yeah. Okay. Got you. Got you. Yes, yes, yes. And I have other stats as well for later. I like that stats. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Janet Gaynor, um, like I was saying, is great, but is not like, is yeah. obviously not on the same level as Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand, and Lady no. Gaga. Janet who? You know? Right. Right. Because like very no few people are on the level of those three ladies. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, um, but... So that's what I'm saying. This movie, I feel like, is an outlier among the four versions. And so I feel like it kind of gets forgotten. And also because I think, like, most people are not very, uh, you know, jumping at the bit to watch movies from 1937. I will say, I talked to my, like, 70-something-year-old grandfather about watching all the Star is Borns. And he goes, oh, like the one with Barbara Streisand. And I was like, well, there's the (laughs) Judy Garland one, too. And then the one from 1937. He's just like, oh, I didn't know that. So it's like. Yeah. I feel that, you know, even though he would have been young when the Judy Garland one came out, he's still like, I would think, would have seen it, you know. Yeah. You know, I talked to my parents about who are younger than your grandfather, though not. They were around and my dad was around 1954. Anyway. Sure. But um, like they, I don't think they'd seen the 54 version. They definitely had never heard of the 37 version. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be the case. And they're like, their point of reference was definitely the 76 version. Yeah, it's just interesting that the third version is the one that most people just know as the, the sole one until this one. Yeah. Especially given how good that one is compared to the others. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we talk about that one. Um, so the point I'm trying to make about the 37 version is that I think it's one of, of the four, it's definitely one of the strongest ones. Oh, for sure. And so I feel like if you like the story of a star is born, I think you should definitely check out the 37 version because, you know, I made the point too, cause this is the one I was kind of like not looking forward to watching the most just cause I hadn't heard about it as much as I'd heard about the other ones. 
And I was, and I liked it so much. And I said to you, I was like, well, obviously it had to be good or they wouldn't have remade it a bunch of times. Like well, they had to be working off of good source yeah, the material. The story to- is just relatable. Like, well, yeah. The fact that like everyone in- really includes Hollywood or the industry in general, like it's just like, it's, it's such a n- nod to itself. That's like. Yeah. But like yeah. what I was saying, like you can make a similar story without using the same exact plot. Oh, sure, sure. Plot. Yeah. And not only do they use the same plot, I mean like they use direct dialogue and scenes. Oh, yeah. From this original one all the way through to the one that just came out in 2015. Some for no reason, I will say. <laughs> yeah. Like it's almost <laughs> like, I don't know if it's because we watch all these in a row or whatever, but it's just like, why are you forcing this? Yeah, well, I think it's kind of like they're trying to do homages, maybe. It's, it's okay. I know. I'm not. You fish. You fish. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Um, it's it's like a wonderful fishing. Chris Christopher. It's, it's, like, it's like fishing. <laughs> it's like fishing. That's, my, that's Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was really a Sam Elliott impression. We'll take a little look at you. Yeah, we'll get to that. All right. Sorry. So. I say something about the 37 version. I feel like I'm just rambling on. Yeah. Uh, I actually like really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, I feel, you know, I don't know what it is with this podcast. I feel like I enjoy most of the stuff from like the thirties we watch. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I get bored with some of the stuff from the forties and the fifties. And that's like crazy. Cause you just think it would have got like cinema would have got like more contemporary in America, mm-hmm. but it's almost just like it eased back into some like comfortable, I don't know, flow in those two decades where it's like there's obviously some standouts right but i feel like as many movies as we watched i've enjoyed a lot of the stuff from the 30s we've watched mm-hmm. and then like less and less from the 40s and 50s i feel like that probably has a lot and to do with the production code i mean sure but it was enacted it was in, it was in by 37 right yeah it was in by 37 for sure but like I'm i mean saying, like uh, this movie did some things like i wasn't even expecting yeah like, it was super solid like i don't know it didn't feel like a 30s movie to me. And that's a weird no. thing to say, and I don't mean any, like, obviously. I'm not trying to trash, like, older films, like, in any way. But I'm just saying it just, yeah. like, kind of stands out as, like, a treasure. But it's, like, placed in this weird 1930s I think spot. you're right, though. I feel like I have really enjoyed a lot of the movies we've watched from the 30s, mm-hmm. more so than the 40s and even right. the 50s. I don't know if they were just, like, having more fun or experimenting even though like typically what you just hear is like everything was so formulaic and just like but i feel like that maybe that was more 40s and like i feel like 30s they were still figuring stuff out sure okay and then by the 40s and 50s that was in the studio system i mean like selznick international pictures is not a major studio do you know what i mean like so by the time it like got to the studio system maybe that's when the like creativity was kind of like sapped out of everything that's true that very well could be I mean, obviously, there are good movies that came out in the 40s and 50s, but like. Yeah. No, 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 for sure. Well, I'm not saying that. It's just like, again, it's yeah. like a majority. Like, whenever we watch something yeah. from the 30s, I'm like, damn, this is good. Yeah, that's true. You're right. They probably were just figuring figuring out the talkies still. That's true. They were like. I mean, this movie came out 10 years after. Or wait, no. When did when did Jazz Singer come out? 29 or 27? 29, right? Mm, I don't know. Whatever. Like, probably 10 years or less after yeah. after the talkie came out. You know what I mean? Like. This movie is this, uh, now I feel like I'm just rambling, but I really enjoyed the first or this first one a lot now. And this is the second one we watched because we st- I do want to say we started with the new one. Yes, we went in the and saw theaters the... on Friday mm-hmm. or Saturday. One of those days. 
It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, I was just like, I was pleasantly uh, surprised at how much I enjoyed the 1937 version. And I, I, and I wasn't also expect, expecting to be set in Hollywood. So that was kind of a nice change up too from. Oh, you didn't know it was set in the Hollywood. The pace that, yeah. The stuff you said that follows, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel like that's a strong recommendation for the 1937 version of A Star is Born. I thought, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry, do you have more to say? I mean, not really. I was just like, you know, I didn't know any of these actors either, and I thought they both gave, like, pretty strong performances. Yeah, they're so great. And also... Janet Gaynor, like, was not only just, like, good in comedy and drama, she or drama, but she did some, like, great comedic stuff in there. Yeah, she did a lot of... She does, like, this fun thing, too, where she's trying to be an actress, and she's, like waitressing at this yeah, party or whatever yeah, yeah. and she does she does an impression of greta garbo katherine hepburn and may west yeah that are so good yeah it's just, and it's and you can again it's clear it's hollywood like winking to itself right, right? exactly and it's just i don't know it just feels it just feels so fresh even though it's like so old <laughs> like, i know i don't know and then the like, scene too where she's practicing she finally like gets a bit role in some movie as like a is like a phone operator or whatever yeah, and yeah. she's like keeps reading the line and like different accents and yeah. stuff to herself like that is and how many of those movies great. have we seen with like, how, like, uh, yeah how many of these yeah. Oscar movies have we watched where there's someone in a telephone operating yeah you know, <laughs> hi there mr you know i loved it. i'm putting it through now and i also thought frederick march was great i felt like he had so like this character i feel like in all of versions of this movie, like the female character obviously is like a really meaty, great role, mm-hmm. but the male character can be like a little bit harder to be charming. Cause like mostly he's a mess. Like his, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's an alcoholic. He does some like messed up things, but I thought Frederick March really like did a great job with it. Yeah. <laughs> is what I'm saying really yes i thought you're gonna go a different route with that completely no that was how it was ending the sentence no i i I do think uh the the two main performances were super solid Mm -hmm. and they had good chemistry together which is super important in a love story like this oh amen in which not all of them do so (laughs) (laughs) no for sure though all right you want to know some stats as long as they're not long and boring uh they're just boring okay Uh, it has a <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 78% okay. and a critic score of 100%, although that is based on only 16 reviews. Sure. At the box office, it made over $2 million. And as far as uh, tying it in with the point of this podcast, Oscar nominations. Uh, so far, it is the only version of A Star is Born to be nominated for Best Picture. So far. So far. And oscar history it was the first color film to be nominated for best picture it was also nominated for best director best actor best actress best assistant director and best writing screenplay and it also won two oscars it won for best writing original story which is different than screenplay and it won a special award for w howard green for the film's color photography hold up back up yes so this movie almost got sued Yes. For being a ripoff of another movie and it won Best Original Story. It sure did. Yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> just, Hollywood. I just, wanted, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to clear that one up. Yep. And as far as its legacy, while it's not named to notable lists, um, its legacy includes that 80 years later it's still being remade. True. It's a bit of a legacy. Yeah. 
All right. Next up. 19- a star is born. A star is born. <laughs> 1954. Directed by George Cooker. Uh, produced by Warner Brothers. It's Cooker. It's Cooker. I know. I think I got you the first time we ever mentioned his name, though. I think you did, too. But then I just re-listened to some You Must Remember This, and she said it. So I, oh. I know. Because Karina wouldn't be wrong. No, she never is. Nope. Okay. So... The 1954 version starred Judy Garland and James Mason. Uh, So Garland had not made a movie since she had been released from her MGM contract in 1950. So this film was promoted heavily as her comeback. And there's actually, so the version, there's a lot of like drama that happened with the original cut of this film. Basically the original First screening test ran for 196 minutes. What's that down? What's that hour wise? I don't know. <laughs> okay, no, keep going. 196 minutes. Um, and despite a static feedback from the audience, they trimmed it to 182 minutes for its New York premiere. And again, the reviews were excellent, but Warner Brothers was like, uh, no. Basically because they were worried that having too long of a movie would limit the amount of times they could show a movie. Sure, sure. That's just business. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. It would make drastic cuts to their money. So they cut it down to 154 minutes without any input from George Cougar. Ooh. And what did they say? Oh, it lost two major musical numbers and crucial dramatic scenes, and Cougar called it very painful to watch. So for years, Garland fans and film historians expressed great interest in viewing the missing footage from the film. And beginning in 1981, film preservationist Ronald Haver Haver, did extensive research of the Warner Brothers film vaults and located some of the missing scenes, including both musical numbers. Um, Here's what I'm here for and lose that long face. And in 1983, a restored 176-minute version was shown in theaters and then released on home video. And so it was a collaboration between the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and Warner Brothers. And they recovered the full um, sound of the the movie, but they didn't have all of the footage. So there are like bits of the movie that are reconstructed with um, pan and scan on film publicity stills. Yeah. So that's the version that we watched, and I feel like that's the that's the like main version mm-hmm. that's out there now. Yeah, I just think that's kind of interesting. I don't because I did the math on that. That is uh, three hours and twenty five minutes was the was original the original cut time. <laughs> Sorry, you just don't make a movie that damn long. George Cougar, like did. you know what you're doing at that point. You know, it's like well, maybe I'm filming a little more than I should. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, so that super long born in a truck trunk sequence the like i don't know what that is that was the like oh film yeah, 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 yeah. in within the film or was whatever. that gone no that oh. george cougar didn't direct that that was done after he'd already left to go like start his next movie and it was directed by like judy garland's like music supervisor really? person or whatever yeah so it was added after he had already departed the picture which i think like definitely like added to the length of the film yeah it's like and, a 20 and, minute thing. in my opinion not in a good way no, it's wholly unnecessary, but it's, like, fun. I just feel like musicals in the 50s, like, the right. style no, I, was just, like... But that's like, a problem. That's not the movie they set out to make. It's just, uh, again, just trying to be formulaic. Like, well, and trying to be formulaic, but also, like, showcasing Judy Garland, which was, like, sure. kind of the point of this movie also. I get that. I get that. And I also think that, like, like today, if you're a choreographer or 
whatever you want to make a cool video you can just like make that video and put it out but like back then if you want to do like a cool production you had to like fit it into a movie mm-hmm. in order to do it so that's why i think you see a lot of musicals with like big production numbers that really have nothing to do with the movie yeah because they were like this is gonna be cool and i want to do right. it because yeah that definitely didn't fit in with like it just didn't make sense it felt so out of place yeah but i also like loved it oh, okay. so i did not that's not cool. i liked parts of it i liked i thought <laughs> the like costumes in that part were so cool and i liked the like set design of every of most of the stuff with like the. it just literally brought the movie to a screeching halt well luckily that after that was the intermission <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> I do love when a movie is so long it has an intermission. That's always fun to see. That they include it on like the home release is what I like. Yeah. That's fun. I oh, feel like that's no not overture. a thing they do anymore though. There was no overture though. No, it was just silence as they like just said intermission no, for yeah. I heard they're actually uh not this isn't directly related by any means, but like I heard during the um the traveling uh wow, my I'm hateful eight mm. show. Mm-hmm. like there was an intermission like on the film print version oh really there was an intermission it was also technically a little bit longer but i think that was more just like to be like the classic way of doing things if we had seen it and there was an intermission i would not have come back from that intermission <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm with you there <laughs> that's the danger too of putting in intermission still think it's cool though it is cool I i've gotten th- to experience an intermission twice and like I, in theaters yeah for um uh David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia, and then uh, Steven Soderbergh's Shea Part One and Two. Oh, technically those are two movies, right? I know, but the whole thing was is being shown as like one piece. That's really cool. Yeah, so it was really cool. I've never seen the second one. I know we, we kind of dropped the ball on that one, huh? Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece, people. <sighs> Shea, Steven Soderbergh, Benicio del Toro. It's good. Do you want to talk instead about the 1954 version of A Star Is Born? I guess we can get back to that. Okay. You're the one who doesn't want this podcast to be too long. I know. <laughs> Guys, if, it's, if you ever feel like it's too long, it's all her fault. I just, I assure you of that. Do you want to just say some stuff about the movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, 54. Gar- I, 54. You know, I've said, I honestly, I feel like talking about the scene you just mentioned is like a perfect way to talk about this movie. It's just like, it's too long already. It's two hours and 57 minutes. Mm-hmm. When something like this scene occurs, it just kills the movie, in my opinion. Um, but the yeah, and then like again with watching this and comparing it to the rest, which is I guess what we're doing here. So I don't know. I'm rambling now. Yep. That's but what we're uh, doing. <laughs> it does feel like probably sixty percent of this movie feels like fresh and new, mm-hmm. and then the last forty percent is just again like verbatim what the other movies like cover what the other movie covered. Yeah, it, it was a weird... Sorry, I didn't mean it. No, no, you. it's okay. But I'm just saying, yeah, that's the thing is like, it felt like, oh, they're taking this in a very different direction. And then it's like, oh, now here's the exact... What feels like the exact same script. Yeah, that was... I really felt like up until like the intermission thing, I was just kind of like, oh, this is like an interesting take. It's still definitely like very similar, but they're changing stuff up. And then it was like after the intermission, it was like they just took whole scenes from the 37 version and put them into this version right. without changing anything except judy garland would right. break into song every 10 and minutes again there's some there's some great stuff that's different in the first couple acts but it's just like at the end of the day it feels like it's just the original version with big musical numbers because again that was the time that was the time people yeah. went to you You know you were saying like this is what happened in movies in, the, in this era the musicals in this yes. era in the 50s 
like there was just big numbers. So that's, I mean, that's all it feels like. It just feels like kind of the same story, just big, big numbers thrown in that, mm-hmm. that in my opinion, again, for the most part, heard it. Also in James Mason's opinion. He's also, quoted as saying he liked the 37 version better because the musical number is distracted from the plot in the 54 version. Oh, see, exactly. And it's not even the distracted, like, could have used it. I think it, that they went on so long or had so little to do with the progression. Yeah. That it's just, it did hurt it. It did hurt it. It does hurt the overall story. And especially when you're like looking back on it in a 2018 mindset, looking back at this movie, I do think it, it does make it, whereas the 37 version still feels like very relevant and contemporary. This one definitely feels more dated. I still think it feels like pretty fresh for 1954. Like, cause I think the story for whatever reason, the story is like super universal, obviously. And like yeah. every generation can love it. But I do feel like, in that sense, the 37 version holds up better than the 54 version. But this is Judy Garland is an icon and this is probably her best acting performance ever. So I just feel like that aspect of this film is like why maybe this one was always considered the best version because I, I do mean, people love Judy Garland like yeah yeah Judy Garland is great and I think that and too like you go to a Judy Garland movie because you want to see big musical numbers mm-hmm. and while I don't think it's not like any of these are well the man that got away is probably one of her most iconic songs not her most iconic obviously but like one of them and uh but other and, there, and then there's obviously some musical numbers that are like whatever don't care forgettable yeah uh the one the one that she does where she's like acting out the whole thing at home like acting out rehearsal at home i think that is like probably the best musical number in the film sure and it's all her it's all her like Mm -hmm. selling it so i do think like that elevates this one up where it would like normally be if i was if judy garland like if everything was exactly the same but it wasn't judy garland i just feel like this would be like a complete waste of time um, James Mason is fine, <laughs> <laughs> but like, ugh, he doesn't, he doesn't have the same charm that Frederick March had. No. And Judy Garland and James Mason have like zero, zero chemistry. chemistry. Yeah. Hey, Ugh. what's the, what's the movie? What's the Gene Kelly movie with Danny? And he does the fucking number where he's just like doing crazy. Oh, make him laugh. Like, yes. Make him laugh. That's from singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Yeah. Wow, geez. Is it really singing in the rain? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It yeah. is. Okay, sorry. I was okay. Um that's what her Judy Garland's number felt like to me in that. Mm-hmm. Except You're not, right. Except not as good. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I do want to say one thing. Like I, I I mean I was just making a joke there, but I am like not necessarily a Judy Garland fan. Sure. Like, this is the second time I've seen her in something. <laughs> that can't be true. I swear to God. I don't know. Like, the only other Judy Garland thing you've seen is The Wizard of Oz? No. What's that? <laughs> yes, of course. You're like, the no, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Easter Parade. What are you talking about? Oh, is she an Easter? I don't know. You, she... you watched Meet Me in St. Louis. Hold on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. That does count. You're right. I'm sorry. It's been a while. <laughs> but, no, but I mean, just regardless, like, I'm not a big fan of hers. But, yeah, like, her, I mean, her performance skills are just fantastic to watch. Like, yes. I also, though, I mean, obviously everyone knows... I mean, I would. Just, I'm just saying she's like not iconic to me. I know she's an icon, but she's like not iconic to me. But it still like resonates. Yes, 
um and obviously judy garland had like a very rough life and a lot of that came down to like the ways the studio abused her but i also think that one of the worst ways they abused her was by dressing her terribly (laughs) in so many movies and like in this movie she has like this big emotional scene where she's like talking to the head of the studio about norman main her husband who's now in like rehab or whatever and she has this like full-on breakdown and it's beautiful and it's great but the whole time she's dressed like a random hobo man and i'm like why can't she just not have been dressed like this for this scene like why is this happening this is not a thought that went through my head i have no idea what you're talking i mean i know the scene can't picture what she's wearing she was like she had like the freckles painted on i get it i get it it's ridiculous it's got the little eliza minnelli wig on Mm -hmm. but i'm like people can't see my face right now but it was just it's a beautiful scene and she does a beautiful job with it but i'm like why couldn't she have just like been dressed like judy garland for this scene why is she dressed like a weird child man i don't understand this yeah (sighs) otherwise though she did have some very cool outfits in this movie so cool you want to know some stats sure all right, so um, has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 83% and a critic score of 97%. It made $6.1 million, but that includes rentals. For nom- Oscar nominations, it was nominated for Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Art Direction Color, Best Costume Design Color, Best Original Song for The Man That Got Away, and Best Scoring of a Musical Picture, but it did not win any Oscars. Dang. I know. She was, like, the heavy favorite to win Best Actress. And she couldn't come to the ceremony because uh, she was giving birth to her child. And so they, like, sent film crews to the hospital so that she could, like, record a thank you to, like, be played live there. And then she lost to Grace Kelly. And so they just had to, like, quietly pack up the cameras and leave. (laughs) Damn, that's funny. I know. Um, as for lists it's been named to on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest love stories, it's ranked at number 43 on their list of the greatest musicals. It's ranked at number seven and on their list of the greatest songs. The man that got away is ranked at number 11. Number seven for musicals. Yes. What the fuck? And that was only a list of like 25. I think they did for musicals. Wow. Okay. It's an iconic film, Kyle. Okay. You look so upset right now. I'm just shocked. All right. Moving on to A Star is Born in 1976, directed by Frank Pearson, once again produced by Warner Brothers, starring Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, with a screenplay by John Gregory Dunn and Joan Didion and director Frank Pearson. The film was a passion project for Barbara Streisand, and she served as executive producer while her hairdresser-turned-boyfriend, John Peters, served as the producer. This is his first producing credit. He went on to be a huge producer in Hollywood. And rapist? Yep. Okay. Here's, this is our Time's Up check. <laughs> in August 2011, a Los Angeles jury ordered John Peters to pay a former assistant $3.3 million after finding out after finding she was subjected to sexual harassment in a hostile work environment during the production of Superman Returns. The suit effectively ended his career. Since 2001, he's only had three credits, two for producing Superman Returns in 2006 and the 2018 version of A Star is Born, and one for executive producing in 2013. The latter was a project already underway before the suit ended. Basically, he has not been able to work at all since then. Yeah. Good. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting because I feel like oh, like with the whole Time's Up thing, there's a lot of people who are like, it's not really having an effect. Mm-hmm. And this kind of happened, obviously, like outside of that. Yeah. And it, it did ruin his career. But I think also he was a giant asshole. So I feel like people were like, oh, if I don't have to work with him, I won't. Right. Thank you for that opportunity. I mean, when you work with shitty people like fucking uh, Brian Singer, too, like I'm why not backing you. Did he do Superman Return? He sure did. Mm. Just seems like a whole fucking problem area with that team. That's true. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a very there. toxic environment. Yeah. Also, in case you don't know, fuck Brian Singer. Look it up. Yes. I mean, don't look up that. Just look up Brian Just look Singer. why you should hate Brian Singer yeah. if you don't know. We'll never talk about him because I don't think he ever made anything nominated for an Oscar. So. We'll see if Bohemian Rhapsody works out. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't either. <laughs> but um so yeah the 76 version of a star is born barbara streisand babs babs again iconic iconic woman here unfortunately (laughs) um this is the worst version of a star is born (laughs) and i think unfortunately so much of that comes down to Barbara Streisand, not her performance, which is fine. But so she like really wanted to do this movie. And then basically like her version of it is that she wanted to direct, but she didn't feel like confident enough yet to direct. So instead she, she just backseat directed. Yeah. She's like backseat directed <laughs> and made everyone hate. And then John Peters was the producer who was her boyfriend who yeah. again had never produced anything yeah, yeah yeah and i guess the two of them were just awful and then they also were doing like this weird thing where they were like taking their relationship and trying to like force it into the story like you know that line when they like first meet and he tells her like you've got a great ass apparently that is like verbatim the pickup line john uh, peters used on barbara streisand wow no wonder they got together that she said made her feel like a real woman Jesus Christ. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so, and then it was like his, it was his car that they used in the movie. Mm. I get it. They were mirroring their own lives in a, in, a, in a way. Yeah. Which is like, that's when your relationship is like, can be used in a star is born. That's your first tip that you're in a toxic relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Did he spray paint her name in, her, in his house? I don't know about that. I do know though. So like then he kind of was like trying to make the, the what's his name in this one john norman howard he's trying to make that character more like him like john peters and that's why he got super like i don't think he should kill himself at the end because that's weak and i'm not weak so that's why he like forced them into the most ambiguous ending in any of these versions where he crashes his car and it can be an accident or it could be intentional you don't really know it's intentional well obviously it's intentional but john peters thought maybe it would be ambiguous john peters sounds stupid He's illiterate. He can't read. Is that true? Yes. Well, don't. That's not. I'm not trying to make fun of him for that. I'm not. I'm just sad. I'm just letting you know. It's a sad fact. I mean, he created quite a life for himself, regardless of that fact. So, good Um, on him. Yeah. So the part where he's an asshole. You want to talk about the movie at all? Uh, yeah. So this movie's not good. Um, this is the first version. I feel like this. You know, 
if you're looking at the four versions, the first two are most closely related, and then the second two are most closely related, just because sure. these two are um, both about the music industry rather than Hollywood. Um, but oh, and also like Barbara Streisand was using this movie as like a way to kind of make herself seem cool. Because she was, like, very much uh, associated with, like, 60s musicals type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, so yeah, she was yeah. like, look, I can be rock and roll, I, too. I can be in the 70s. But guess what? She isn't rock and roll. No. I actually thought her music in this movie was leaning more disco. than like, It was very disco yeah. Yeah. Which is cool, but I feel like they were trying to make her out to be, like... It just didn't work. Okay. And I just feel like, one... Obviously, this relationship is a toxic relationship in every version. Like, it's not good because any relationship that ends in suicide probably isn't good. But, like, this one was the worst. They had a lot of issues that other versions of these, this couple did not have. Right. I think more. I think it's just, you know, a point in the 70s where it became easier to talk about real things. You know what I mean? Like, I guess. Well, the others, like, alluded to them in very curious ways, but, like, this one was definitely like, here's us doing drugs, and here's you know what I mean, like. That's true. He was the he had a drug problem as well as a drinking problem. Yeah. I mean, I think it just played to like they were trying to be like as real as they can, as as they could. It, it seems dated now, mm-hmm. but it just seems like they were trying to be as like honest and current as possible back then. And that's what makes things feel dated, though. No, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, so this is my second Barbara Streisand movie. That's insane. That can't be true. I think, yeah, Prince of Tides is the only other one. Right? You haven't seen any other? You didn't watch Hello, Dolly? No. You were in it. Yeah, I mean, I watched it. No. Should have probably watched the source material. <laughs> gave my character a Russian accent. I don't know if he was Russian at all. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, just Prince of Tides. So, <laughs> so your two <laughs> references for Robert Streisand are Prince of Tides and Stars Born. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, but I, I honestly thought she was pretty darn good. Yeah, she's a very good actress. I was into it. I, I liked a lot of her characterizations. Yes. I thought her, I thought her dialogue was good. I thought she looked fucking great. She did. Um, and I didn't think, you know, I didn't think her singing was bad. When well, they started no, doing her singing it, like, is amazing. Well, yeah, no, sorry, but I mean, like the, the songs. You know, I feel like they started really good and then like later got kind of ick to me. Like the whole end kind of sucks where she just keeps singing like three different songs or whatever. Oh, like the literal last song? Yeah. I just said it was the Lord of the Rings of songs. Yeah. It, it, kept, yeah, it like, sounds like it was going to end and then it, she and just, just started kept, a new thing. Yeah. Another song <laughs> happened. But I don't, I mean, overall, like, I mean, it sucks to hear about all the behind the scenes stuff and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I do think she was fantastic in this movie. Yeah. I think she's actually a pretty hell, like a hell of an actress. So she's a very good actress. Yes. Yeah. Um, but she she does her part like Chris Christopherson. I mean, I don't know what he is. Some people say he can't sing. Many people say he can't act. I don't know. He don't can know write he a good song though. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably good at a lot of things. Um, <laughs> this movie not being one of them. <laughs> no, I thought. I mean, I thought he was fine. I just, you know, he didn't get a lot to do. Like, it no. just you know, it was all just very. It seemed against type too. I mean, I don't know who Chris Christopherson like really is. Well, I feel like it means, was but from what I read from the behind the scenes things, he was legitimately an alcoholic during the filming of this movie. Sure, I mean, sounds like it had to be. Yeah. To get through it, but um, I don't know. Just yeah, 
I don't have much to say, I guess, along those lines. It did feel like, again, we heard a lot of the same dialogue we heard in the uh, first two at this point. But, like, it was it was like they but, used the same dialogue, but they were so pissed about having to use it that yes. they, like, did a really bad job at it. Yeah, it's like, ugh, here comes these lines. He's like, oh, yeah, I just wanted to see you, Can't we just go back man. to saying you have a great ass? That line is terrible. I know it's bad. It's really bad. And it's bad. even worse that it happened. But some of the character, you know, some of the stuff between them, honestly, I really like. I do. I thought I thought like some of the scenes really shined. Mm-hmm. Except there was just like a lot of bad scenes surrounded by several good ones. Um, yeah. I feel like this one also had like a weird thing with like the timeline that also kind of was echoed in this most recent version, where like. It's not really clear how much time is passing. They go on their honeymoon and there's no house in a desert. And then next thing you know, there's a full house, fully furnished. And then they're like, oh, come out on tour. But I'm like, it has to have been like money, many months. Yeah, sure. I mean, that doesn't, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me though. I found it weird. And I also think, um, I don't think they had the best chemistry together. And I think maybe a lot of that comes down to the fact that they did not get along in real yeah. life. You know? I don't know? A lot of it I just totally believe, though. And I want to say something, too. And I thought yeah. I would never say this. Oh, so both both movies, Prince of Tides and this, uh-huh. Barbara Streisand is in sex scenes. Uh-huh. And man, is she damn sexy. She is sexy. Like, I just, you know, as an icon, uh-huh. and as mostly, like, obviously known for her, her vocals. Yes. Like, it just, it just, it weirded me out to see her just, like, kind of being sexual. And being like really good at it, <laughs> like <laughs> you know what I mean, like yeah. Um, but I really thought I don't know. I thought she acted her butt off and did a pretty pretty good job of, at making a character seem real. Like, but again, Chris Christopherson is is kind of like one note the whole time. Yeah. But I, I, with with a few shiny moments, but mostly just one note. And just like one final note on that from behind the scenes stuff, like this deal that Bar- Barbara Streisand had to deal through a production company first artists. Um, and essentially she got, um, final cut privileges. So after, you know, Frank Pearson did his final cut, she never had any intention of letting his final cut, like be the final cut. She didn't even want the studio to see it, which she didn't have a choice in, but then she went back and recut it herself. And from what Frank, Frank Pearson, like ended up taking like a full page editorial, like at the time the movie came out, just talking about how awful everything was and blah, blah, blah. But like essentially he says the change that she made was to like cut down chris christopherson's part and to add in more close-ups of her whoa yeah which damn babs i know and like but part of me wants like i don't know how like much we can abide by that too like i don't i don't i wouldn't I can f- see where Barbara Streisand is like a deal. Like that's who she is and she's demanding and whatever. But she also was like a very, she was a woman making movies and making decisions and doing this stuff in a time when like women weren't doing that. And like maybe these guys all had problems with her, but how much of it was like specifically about her and how much it was about like, I don't want this woman telling me how to do my job. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. You know, that's a good point. I mean, she did have at, at essentially have no right to tell them how to do their job. Right. Well, but, she was the executive producer. Oh, yeah. Was she? Well, yes. Executive producer. That's a fucking. That's a. That's just a title. That's not. Well, she was the one who like it was her kind of project. Her and John yeah. Peters no, were, like the it. only credited producers. I get it. She f- probably found a lot of the funding for it. Got to go on. And she I like put up money herself too. Okay. I mean, I get it. I'm yes. just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. She also hired the director. So. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. I'm sorry. I listened to like a th- podcast about specifically this one, like right before we. Why don't we just this. insert that in here then? We sh- we should, but um, <laughs> it's better than this podcast probably. <laughs> but uh, like originally when they're trying to do it, they were gonna have John Peters direct it, and then every studio was like, "There's no way we're letting this hairdresser direct a movie." And then she thought about directing it herself, but she didn't want it to seem like she was taking a job away from her boyfriend who was, who had some issues. They had a volatile relationship. So that is why they hired Frank Pearson also. But I think also she probably wasn't comfortable yet. Like obviously she did want to direct and she did go on to direct and she is a good director. Right. Right. Yeah. Very talented. But I think that in maybe 1976, she wasn't comfortable enough to do it yet. Sure. How old was she at this time? I don't know. Pretty young though, right? She'd be pretty young. Late twenties, yeah. early thirties? Probably. I don't know how old she was when she like started. I know she started like in the sixties. Uh-huh. Like Funny Girl and all that was the sixties, but still. Yeah. Killing it. She's an icon. She's an iconic, wonderful person. Right. Cool. Okay. So some stats on the seventy six version. Has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 68% and a critic score of 32%. Damn. And this is the one everybody remembers. It like, was the one ever, it was, yeah, it was like. They don't remember it correctly, apparently. Well, it was commercially successful. It was critically not successful. Gotcha. But at the box office, it made $80 million and was the third highest grossing film of 1976. Damn. You know what? You know what else I just realized? Hmm. We kept hearing that same damn song from Chris Christopherson's character mm-hmm. and like didn't even hear like a good one until like late, very late in the movie. And like, I wonder if there was like more of that because seriously, oh, all we heard cut? was that one damn song over and over again. Like, at least true. in like the newer one or like all the other ones, you don't hear the same song twice. And this one like it literally opened with this song and it's like entirety and then he kept playing it at every venue. Mm-hmm. And then she like puts part of it in the last song too, right? Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't even that good of a song. No. I'm oh, sorry. Um, Oscar nominations. It was nominated for best cinematography, best sound, best original song score, and it won for best original song for Evergreen. Okay. And on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest songs in movies, Evergreen was ranked at number 16. Which one was Evergreen? Evergreen's the one that they sing, um, like, in the studio, like, at each other, and then they're, like, kissing while they oh, sing okay, it. okay. Which, they did record that live. They recorded all the songs live, because I guess Barbara Streisand's not good at lip syncing, so sure. she requested that they sing it live. Lip syncing is BS. Especially it for, is. like, a movie like this, if it was all lip synced, like, right. I think you'd be taken out. Right. It's not, she's not, like, Judy Garland doing a full dance right. number as well. She's, like, sitting there singing the song, so. Yeah. All right. Three down, one to go. Next up, A Star is Born. Ooh. From 2018, directed by Bradley Cooper. And what do you know? Produced by Warner Brothers. <laughs> Starring Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper. Screenplay by Eric Roth, Bradley Cooper, and Will Fetters. So talks of a remake of A Star is Born began in 2011 with Clint Eastwood attached to direct and Beyonce set Ooh. to star. Ooh. But talks were put on pause due to her pregnancy. She officially left the project in 2012, and it was reported that Bradley Cooper was in talks to star. And by 2015, it was announced that Cooper would star and direct, and Lady Gaga became attached in 2016. Filming began at Coachella in 2017 after Lady Gaga took over the headlining spot after Beyonce dropped out 
due to her second pregnancy. Mm. Everything comes back to Beyonce, is what I'm saying. Just like everything else in your life. Yep. I just thought it was interesting that like her pregnancies, <clears throat> both of her pregnancies had like an impact on this film. Yeah, it is funny. <laughs> Journey. Although like I love Beyonce more than most things. I just think a Clint Eastwood directed version with her would have been awful. That would have been terrible. That's I'm so glad that didn't happen. No, that would have been terrible. Although I wouldn't I wouldn't have minded seeing her in the Bradley Cooper directed version. Yeah. You definitely couldn't go the route of like, I'm an ugly duckling though. <laughs> you think instead of a nose it'd be her ass? Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's quite as romantic. <laughs> See the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. Everyone. Now, hopefully you have by now. Yeah. Hopefully you're not listening to this if you haven't seen it, because again we're spoiling everything. Yep. So you were super excited to see this movie, which is why we had to go see this one before we could watch any of the older yeah, versions. I didn't, I'm glad I, you know. Because you did not know the story. Honestly, his death in this movie really affected me because I did not see it coming. <laughs> it was one of those things where I like, I had not seen any of the earlier versions, but I kind of like knew about them. Uh-huh. And then like, as I was, as the movie's going on, I'm like, oh, I think he kills himself. <laughs> I was like, I think I remember this yeah. is what happens in this movie. Yeah, that was not, that was not. A, uh, you know a cue for me until yeah there's a certain scene where it's just like oh no okay yeah well and honestly since we're talking about it we can start there because that's my biggest complaint of this version is that i think the suicide in this version is handled the worst out of any of them in the first two versions 37 and 54 it's kind of like a myriad of reasons that build up to why he does it Mm -hmm. that includes like there's a lot of like stuff about him maybe feeling insecure that his wife is making money and he's out of work and then also like his career not being good and then he kind of like overhears his wife saying that she's gonna like give up her stardom to take care of him and he can't handle that which i think you know it is it's like a layered like this happens and this happens and this happens that leads him to this point on top of him already having substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this version, it literally is just one person being like, you should kill yourself. And then he does it. That is not at all what happened. I just feel he like it is doesn't definitely feel go- the No, same. I disagree. I think this is going through a much, in a much more non just like ex bl- like blurting out exposition way but of i am dealing with it i just thought that having that character like her um what is he like her manager or whatever like telling him like you are messing up her career and her life and it would be better if you weren't here was so like on, on the, the nose. nose and it just felt it felt like we have to get to a suicide and this is the quickest way to get to the suicide do you know what i mean yeah but see i felt it as like no one was really around to tell him like to just point out to him that he was just being such a problem. Like I didn't take it. I know what you're saying on the nose and like in retrospect. Yes. However, I will say like when watching that, maybe you feel differently, obviously, but I didn't feel like, like I knew that was like, he was voicing us in a way, Mm -hmm. like in my opinion. Cause like, if we were close to Bradley Cooper, like you might say these things, not in such a mean way. No, but you might tell it to. So in, 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 in a lot of the ways he was like speaking from like a good conscience, you know what I mean? I guess. But he's a dick character. 
Yeah, but part of the thing too, though, is then it feels like but oh, he killed himself. Because I mean, like first no, of all, to say that stuff to someone who's like two days out of rehab is messed up. Right? No, no, no. Exactly. But it like put it puts like the impetus on like that guy saying it, as opposed to like in the other versions, it really feels like a conclusion he comes to but on his. It's own. It's the same thing. No, I think it is. I think that's what start like that's what starts it off. It's not like in the next scene he kills himself. Basically, basically in the next scene, Lady Gaga's like. Oh, I'm not going to go out on tour. And he realizes what she's giving up. And then he goes and kills well, himself. Yeah, literally that same day. But is it right after? It's like right after. There's, it's literally I, that you know, scene. And then that scene. Whatever. You're wrong regardless. <laughs> so why keep talking about it? Uh, no. Um, I think the suicide scene. I think we talked about this a little last night. Like, I know what you're saying. I think there was too much. Le- like you said, you hated the shot. I did hate the shot. Of, from outside the garage. I hated. Yeah. Whereas, like, I thought I liked the shot. I think it was powerful. I hated. I think they they showed too much leading up to it. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think in general they showed too much. Yeah. Which again, kind of also though feels like Bradley Cooper's directing it, and this is like the big his character's big moment. Yeah. Type thing. Do you know Whoa. what I mean? It just feels a little like self-serving. I, I see what you're saying. I think it was just a way to build up tension honestly but also like you knew as soon as he took off his belt what he was gonna do i know i mean i agree i agree am i gonna say bradley cooper is a bad fucking director no (laughs) because he directed the fuck out of this movie like i can't i can't think of a debut i've seen in in recent years that matches i think Mm -hmm. that i think matches the the success and talent in this movie i know you didn't love this movie as much as i do no i very much liked it though yeah, but I like loved it. Yes, and I think for all the right reasons. And I honestly think Bradley Cooper is a f- like, I think he's one to watch. I hope he stops. I I hope he limits his acting, and focuses on directing more stuff. Yeah, I do think it was a pretty strong debut for sure. But the stronger debut, <laughs> yeah, is Miss Lady Gaga. Amen. Like she and like because I had seen unfortunately American Horror Story. So I like did not have high expectations of what she could do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also is a credit to Bradley Cooper for sure. Cause I think he did have to pull some of this performance out of her sure. or as maybe Ryan Murphy just didn't give a shit, but like also, but also though, I mean, obviously a lot of this character, she can just pull out of her own life experiences. Sure. Like this is a very much a character she can relate to. Sure. But she like amazed me. She was so great. And I think that, you know, regardless, like, she's obviously she's already a superstar. But now. Yeah. There's this. I mean, I feel that the fir- like the first 15 minutes of this movie is like something I could watch every day. Yeah. Like, I love it. The chemistry between these two compared to like the chemistry in any of the other movies. Yeah, I know for sure. I think is they blows them out of the water. Yeah. This this couple feels so real and so like tangible. It's just like I just want to. Yeah, no, I think that's true because like in every version, you know, he's already an alcoholic when they meet, yeah. and so it's like very hard to understand in most of the previous versions. Like, wait, why are you getting involved with this man who's like clearly has problems? Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, like he still clearly has problems and is still a drunk when she meets him. But it's, like, more understandable because you can just, like, feel that, like, visceral connection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. 
in every like yeah in every way like it never feels false it never feels forced i don't know i don't know if they improvised a lot or if the script was just really well written i'm not it sure it feels like they improvised honestly yeah but it just they're they were real and they were in it together and it just felt like i don't know when watching this movie because i was thinking about like oh this is bradley cooper's first movie like i like both these people like i'm really paying attention i like i'm thinking about like outside like the filming aspects and everything and it's just like it really seems like they were a team that was on board to accomplish the same goal. And I know that's like how every movie should be, but it's not how all movies actually are. Right. And it just felt like this was like a team effort and kind of like low key in a way, even though there's some big set pieces, but they cheated. You know what I mean? They just like filmed at real concerts. Like you said, like Coachella and you know, other places, um, those big grandiose, grandiose scenes, like we're just borrowing another set for like, a half hour <laughs> which is also crazy we think about that so they had to like i don't know the order stuff but it whatever order they had to like film stuff she had to be in that character and then like immediately like do a lady gaga act yeah as well like yeah. do you know what i mean like yeah. that's a lot it's to a prepare trooper. for i want to say like so they have these big grandiose scenes and then they have just so many of these small intimate scenes with like friends and i mean like it's clearly just not all hired actors like it's friends because bradley cooper has worked for everybody and been in you know magnitude of things and it's just i don't know it just felt so i felt the fun and the creative process in this movie which i cannot say for a lot of things you know what i mean but like it's not something you should always see so in many ways this is like almost like watching a documentary for me like it was just even though it was like nowhere you know neither people's lives necessarily but like i just felt the process i felt the creation and like i'm not saying that's something you should always feel really filmmaking is just you know you're trying to it's escapist entertainment but it's just like this just felt like i don't know i was with them on the journey for sure Damn. i do think like it definitely was a very intimate feeling like even when you're talking about like the grand scale like when they're performing in concerts or whatever i would say like really though like there are hardly any wide shots at all in this film it's almost no. all close-up or extreme close-ups and like even when they're performing on stage i feel like i can think of honestly only like one shot of the crowd otherwise i feel like it's just them yeah which i which i like because it it does put the focus more on their relationship and since like that is the strong point of the movie it makes sense but it also towards like the end of the movie kind of became like a little like sticking point for me in that like you never really understood the context of their world yeah you did never saw anything about like media or press you never like which just rings a little inauthentic because obviously we know that fame today has a lot to do with those things Mm -hmm. like and so that's why it kind of also felt weird when all of a sudden because you're in like this weird bubble with them and then all of a sudden her manager is like this looks so terrible for her but it's like we've never seen any instance of how they're portrayed in the media at all i think that was an interesting to not go that way because there's so many things that do that Mm -hmm. or you know what it's just sometimes it's just tiring seeing all of that in our regular lives. No, no, I know. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's just like, I like that they just focused on them. They just focused on their relationship. I do mostly like and it. Could, okay. I'm just saying that like for for the like turning point of him choosing to kill himself coming from like the way this is going to pr- make her look yeah. and what it's doing to her career, there should maybe should have been like some some reference to how the media was portraying them before like were they like an awesome celebrity couple that everybody yeah. loved was yeah. it and now this was like fucked up or like you know what i mean yeah i mean i think there are little things that allude to that yeah that they are liked as a couple 
It's just we're not cutting to like Carson Daly on TRL. No, I'm not saying that at all. But like, <laughs> I just I think that was like Josie and the Pussycats that's in that movie. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's because he was Jenny uh, Tara Reed. Uh, oh yeah, wow. Okay. Facts I know about Carson Daly. <laughs> <laughs> Fun facts. Fun facts. Um. um. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I'm like what I'm like I I don't want it to sound like I dislike the film. These are just like little nitpicks that I'm picking at because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. But mostly I really liked it. Yeah, because it's superb. Mm-hmm. It's superb. I cannot listen to the shallow song without choking up every single time oh because my God, that scene. because you hear it in her and like I mean that's the best thing about Lady Gaga now and I'm so glad like I hope this and I think Joanne helped a lot too. I hope people are finally changing their fucking mind about her and realizing that she's fucking talented. Mm-hmm. But if, if nothing else does it, this movie has to like it's. Oh my god. That reminded me of another problem There's that I so had. so much wrong. Oh my god. Why are you just <laughs> complaining about this movie? The I'm other movie sucked. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that like it felt a little weird to me. I feel like this movie is passing some judgment about when she becomes famous, she starts doing more Lady Gaga-esque songs. And I feel like the movie is kind of passing a judgment that this is not authentic, that her like real authentic, true artistic self was coming through in the songs that she was doing with Bradley Cooper. Jackson mean and I just and that's fine but I'm just saying I think that's weird considering that it's Lady Gaga considering that that is the kind of music she's made her career off of yeah but but okay I think I can approach this in two ways one I think it was actually more about she could do whatever the fuck she wanted to do she finally got an outlet for whatever the hell she wanted to do she was owning that and he was just like thrown off by being like, well, I didn't think this is the person. Well, she never got to show that side. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think she cared about that side. But like another thing, I 100,000 billion percent believe that Lady Gaga is just a fucking fame experiment. And like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think she has fun writing those songs. Mm-hmm. In no way do I think Lady Gaga is who she is. I think it's a character she plays. Yeah. And it's all an experiment to that worked. Sure. And I think she acknowledges that. So it's just like, either way. No, I, I know that. But I'm, yeah, no. I'm not like, dis- I, I'm not here to debate Lady Gaga's career. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess what would have like made it work better for me in the film though is if we got any instance of Allie stating that this is the music she wanted to be making I feel like we never actually got to hear from her we just heard like Jackson's judgment of it and she says like that's my song like you're making fun of my song yeah. or whatever but like you never hear her say like this is what I, the music I've always wanted to do or like this is you know what I mean I just feel like they leave because it a little we ambiguous didn't need to, oh we didn't need to know about her hopes and dreams oh my god that's not what feelings? i'm saying no i feel i feel like she properly stated who she was i don't think we just needed to hear it verbalized i would have i needed it to be a little more well, verbalized you're because te- i just you're a television like, person so well i just feel like already this movie is very much about like him shaping her and then when she's not what he wanted her to be he gets mad about it and so i just think maybe to have her like state but that in the end he dies so everything's okay that's untrue <laughs> that's never how suicide works i'm just kidding uh, uh okay i just think like that's a part of the problem that he realizes i think like you're imbuing so much subtext that like thoughts that you had that weren't there 
You know what I mean? Like, you can say that all you want, but, like, it wasn't on the screen. <laughs> so. And I saw it. I saw <laughs> okay. it. Okay. I'm glad you did. I did not. Couldn't recommend this movie more, honestly. Yes. Recommended, for sure. And uh, future Oscar contender, I think. Oh, I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. So my stats oh, yeah, You got stats about Oscars already? I do. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I called up. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie and I are actually oh. real close friends. Oh. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Uh, so currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an audience score of 85% and a critic score of 91%. And as of October 11th, it's made $71.3 million at the box office. And while there are no Oscar nominations yet, there's some major, major buzz Yes. for everybody involved. Came out at a really great time, honestly. Could have been a summer movie. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't do that. I think they knew... Yeah, that it would get. I think they knew what they were doing. Honestly, I feel like, you know, with some of the editing issues you talked about and just some of the stuff, like, I do feel like this movie could have used a little bit more time in the oven. I wonder if they kind of rushed it out. I mean, they started filming it in like 2016 or whatever. Like, they've been making this movie for a long time. That's true, I guess. But I don't know when again when it's a when it's a debut. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think like for sure shallow is going to win best song like oh, that already is like i just cannot like my favorite moment of the oscars i can already tell you what it is it's their performance it's their live performance of that song yeah it's gonna be great if they don't fucking do it i don't know what i'm, I'm they'll definitely lady gaga will definitely do it i don't know if bradley cooper will sing with her oh i think he will because he i think will. that that will epitomize all the work he put in like That's are you true. if he's going for best director which he 100 percent is and will get nominated there is no doubt in my mind he will he will get he will not get nominated for this movie for acting or directing? For act or for both. For I both. think for both. No, I think so too. I think he plays the the best Jackson Maine by far, like a hundred percent. Oh wait, we're, we're gonna get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm sorry. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think if he didn't perform at the like that is his selling point. Do you know what I mean? Like even though that's beyond where the part we have to sell yourself, like I think that just epitomizes like him performing a song on stage that they wrote. I think it's like one hundred percent being like. I don't know. It's a nice little ending to it, but showing all the hard work gone into it. Because that motherfucker definitely trained for this role. I know. I do think it's kind of like a funny, like ironic thing that like this movie is about like him teaching her how to be a pop star when like clearly the opposite (laughs) opposite occurred (laughs) behind the scene. Oh, and again, that's just such a cool part of the process. It is though. (sighs) Sorry. All right. All right. So now that we've talked about all of them, we have some, Oh, first I have my one talking point. Oh God! That I wanted to. I don't think up. we should talk about it actually. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Well, then let's just get on to our our awards, the four year reconsideration awards for the A Star Is Borns. All right. So since we we can start with this one since you kind of already gave your answer, but out of the four films, who was the best male performance of Norman Maine slash John Norman Howard slash Jackson Maine? Did you start with this one on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I mean I one hundred percent think I one hundred percent think it was Cooper. I think I mean like one, you know, you you are getting third nineteen thirties and nineteen fifties acting, which is a yeah. different brand of acting. Yes. than today, um, Chris Christopherson again. I think he gave a, a you know. A whatever performance but he didn't bring me in to a character like bradley cooper did with J- with jack with jackson maine mm-hmm. like holy fuck i loved him from the beginning all we had that was the trailer that's all we were basing it off of and they were they're both kind of ambiguous in the trailer like i didn't really know what was going on mm-hmm. but damn i agree for for me 
who gave the mail first comes down to in every single version there is the line where he says wait she turns around and he says i just want to take one more look at you and it comes down to who delivered that line the best yeah and i do think it was bradley cooper with a close runner-up frederick march from the 37 version sure because i do think i think he was my second favorite for sure okay no it's fair he was very charming i agree i absolutely agree but like dude Yes, no, Bradley Cooper's great. Even though he's just doing a Sam Elliott impression through the whole movie, it works. <laughs> All right. So then next up. Take another look at you. <laughs> oh, my God. You know who delivered that the worst was Dude, Chris I'm, Christopherson. I'm sweating. Though. I'm sweating right now. Although James Mason also did not do a good job with yeah, it. No, he didn't. He did Basically, not. the only two that did a good job with that line are Bradley Cooper and Frederick March. Yeah. All right. Who gave the best female performance? Why would you start with this so early? Oh, sorry. You know what I mean? Because I think that's the biggest one. I wrote tough. That's because. not an actress. That was. No, I know. Do you want me to? We can come back to this if you want. No, I'll talk about it now. I would. Uh, I'm immediately discarding the first two actresses. Jenna Gaynor and Judy Garland. Yep, I am. I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. Um. And not to be me, because like again, I loved Gaynor's performance. Like I thought she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm sticking to one story more than the others, and that's of the like musicians. Um, and I know it's a, it's the '76 version, the '18 version, or '76 was it? 76? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just between Gaga and uh, <laughs> and Streisand, like. I thought, honestly, they were both great. Like, I was very impressed with both performances. Like, for sure. Like, I, I mean, I mentioned Streisand's performance in particular earlier. Like, I loved her. Um, but at the end of the day, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to just pick a team here, but Gaga. Like, again, I f- she felt so natural. She felt so real at the end of the day. Um, but Streisand, I mean, killed it, too. Like, yeah. But I would, I would probably pick Gaga. Not just because I like the movie better, but. No, I feel like that's fair. I feel like this one is super tough because, honestly, all four of these actresses gave, like, right. career-defining performances. These are the actresses' movies. Yeah, it is, like, 100%. I, I guess I was pointing it, like, I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to say. Ignore me. I didn't want to say I was throwing out the other two. That was unfair of me to say. Yeah. It just it took me a while to kind of narrow down, and then I just narrowed it down between Streisand and Gaga. Mm-hmm. I understand that. It is super, super hard to narrow it down. I feel like the edge for me comes from it just being coming at it with a contemporary viewpoint. I do want to give it to Gaga. But it's like super, for me, it's super close between her and Judy Garland. Okay. So I go back and forth between those two. Okay. No, fair. Very fair. What's our next category? Uh, I don't know. Which one do you want to do next? I don't care. Well, since we already did the performances, who had the best chemistry? I mean, we already talked about yeah, this. No. Cooper and Gaga. No. For sure. No it's contest. Like hands down. No contest. Although I will say the runner-up is Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. Sure. Mostly though because like... Really, the first and the last are the best movies. Yeah, they are the best versions for sure. But also like... Judy Garland and James Mason had no chemistry, and Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand had no chemistry. Visible. And, like, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga had nothing but chemistry. This movie is riding on chemistry. Right. All right. Some fun things. Uh, Which film had the best costumes? Uh, Do you know my answer? I feel like my answer is very obvious. I feel like we probably have the same answer. Is it it the 76? Yeah, it's 76 for sure. 
it was the only time where I was literally like, damn, she looks good. Or damn, I like that outfit. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> It was amazing. And those are all like legitimately Barbara Streisand's clothes. Right. She yeah, just you, brought her clothes from saying, home. Like, it was like from her closet. <laughs> yeah, that's what the credits say, like from her Which closet. Which is great. No, no, but it was, a, you know, you always notice stuff like costumes. Like that's yes. your thing, right? Like, yeah. I, trust me, I know that. But that was like the only time in any of these movies that I was like, I like that. Yeah. Like, you know, do I sound like creepy? I feel like I'm coming off like creepy. No, I really thought she just You were like, so she's got a great ass. Yeah. She got a great- <laughs> no, I just meant she looks so stylish. Like, I loved her looks in that movie. It does look good. It helps that, like, that style of, like, boho 70s chic is, like, very much still in style What's right boho now. boho mean? Like, bohemian. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying that style is still, like, boho. in style now, whereas, like, sure. the stuff from 37 to 54 is not in style sure, anymore. Sure, sure. Um, and honestly, like... When I was like sitting there thinking about it, I was like, I can't even really remember what Lady Gaga wore actually. Like t shirts and pants and Right. Hats she and mostly stuff. just like, looked like a normal yeah, yeah. Just like honestly. Which is crazy because like Lady Gaga's very right. much defined by what she right, wears. Right, right, right. Oh, she's great. Oh. And honestly, like if you love fashion and you aren't following what she's been wearing on the promo tour for this movie, do it. It's like mind melting and it's fantastic beyond words because she's Lady Gaga. <laughs> okay. Have you seen any of the stuff she's been wearing? No, but I'm sure you'll show me after this. So good. good. Okay. All right. How about um, we? Were you saving best songs? Uh, We can do it if you want. No. Okay. (laughs) We can save that one for the end if you want. Let's go to most red flags. Most red flags. So like I said, the Norman Maine, Jackson Maine, John Howard Maine, whatever the heck his name was, are... um, are not the kind of men you'd want your daughter to date. But which one distributed the most red flags out of this myriad of red yes, flags they all shown? Yes. No, I'm asking the listeners to please tell. We're going to oh, be quiet okay. now Wait, so that okay. they can answer. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Good wow. Point. That's mm. fair. Okay. Um, like some of you said, and <laughs> others may disagree. I'm going to go with Christofferson from 1976. Do you agree? Yeah, hands down, he was the worst. Okay, good. I didn't know if it was so obvious or not. But, like, I mean, alcohol, drug addiction, hurt people, uh, yes. you know, did stupid things, stupid, dangerous things. Like, that put cheated on Barbara. She's the only one that cheated on her. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, yeah. I just feel like that was, like, hands down the worst. But I didn't know if it was, like, obvious or not. No, I think he for sure is the worst. And, like, I feel like a lot of it comes down to, obviously, they're all self-destructive. But, like, he is the only one who actively puts other people in danger through his self-destructiveness. Like, the way that he kills himself with the car accident could have very easily hurt someone else, you know? He wasn't really in control of that. When he's driving a motorcycle off a stage, that could have hurt someone else. Like, Mm -hmm. he's the worst. Right. For sure. Okay. So that one was clear and easy. Yeah. All right. Best nose. Is Is it? Okay. I mean... Throw out the first two, probably not. <laughs> Judy Garland, they, like, I think it's funny because they have the line about Judy Garland about her nose, how like yeah. the problem with her face yeah, is yeah, all yeah. her nose. My choice is actually the one film where they don't make mention of her nose, which is the 76 version with Barbara Streisand. Yeah. I wonder who who shut that right? down. But that's what I'm saying. I'm like, she talks about like, oh, my eyes are too small and yeah. whatever. I'm like, and your nose. <laughs> like, 
but your nose. Though. But it's like they're just like gonna. And I mean, I love Barbara Streisand's nose. Sure. I love. Who doesn't? Yeah, her profile is like the stuff of legend. Oh. But it just seems so weird to me that like every other version, even like the Janet Gaynor version, like say something about her nose, right, right. making her not. And then, yeah. But like Barbara Streisand's just like, no, that's not the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, yours is like the most distinctive. Could be your bottom teeth, because like, damn, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no. All right, so best nose, Lady, Lady Gaga. Okay. Oh, you're sorry. No, yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. percent Oh, are you? Oh, yeah. I thought you were gonna go with Gaga. Dude, that nose is. <laughs> I mean, fucking, you couldn't sculpt a better nose out of marble. You know what I mean? Like that nose is amazing. It is. All right, sorry. All right. Or as we say in this household, snatch. Just me. Yeah, just that's me. not a we it's, thing. It's just that's me. a Kyle thing. She hates every time I say it. Okay. <laughs> we should also, I feel like, okay, that's fine. No, what? I was just going to like point out for people, because it's a podcast they can't see, but I have a very distinctive nose, and that's why Kyle calls it a schnoss all the time. Not fair. You <laughs> have a distinctive nose. Very distinctive is, that's too much. That's a I mean, it's not nose. on a Streisand or Gaga no, level no, no. for sure. So it's distinctive, but not, it's, not very distinctive. It's like pretty distinctive nice i like it thank you and then devin which of these uh four a star is born films do you think has the best songs um again it gets the edge just because it's you know contemporary and more in line with my personal musical tastes I'm giving it to the 2018 Lady Gaga version. Yeah, and it's, dude, I I don't know. I think it's hands down the best. Um, yeah. It, like, just, I mean, I think everything has been set in its time period, like, for mm-hmm. sure. Music of the time, I get it. I hope I'm not just saying that for this reason. I am being biased for sure because, you know, Lady Gaga was, god damn it, Devin. Yeah, also, like, word to listeners, like, he's saying that because that's how what I call her all usually the all the time, and, and I, I'm not doing it now, and yeah, now and he's it's, doing it. It's pissing me off. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but, like, I mean, I love her songwriting capability. I've loved her forever. You know what yes. I mean? Like, it's not... And then also, like, Jackson Maine songs is, like, my type of, like, country with, like, that southern like rock country type rock, of vibe. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, like, it just fit my mold perfectly, you know? And yeah. I was already just suckered from the beginning, from the first trailer. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to live in this soundtrack. So. This soundtrack's amazing. I haven't stopped listening to it all I week. I haven't either. Oh, my God. And again, I swear to you, every time she comes in for the chorus in Shallow, I, like, choke up because it just, you feel it. Like, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Ah! Sorry. It is great. It's great. It's definitely my pick for best overall soundtrack and, like, best if we're looking at like the biggest songs from each of those musical versions, yes. shallow still number one for sure. But I will point out like the man that got away is an amazing song. And Judy Garland sounds like, like a James Bond kills movie. it. <laughs> it does sound like a James Bond movie, but uh, I don't, I actually don't know if you can like find that clip on YouTube, but if you can, you should definitely try to find it cool. and hear her singing it. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe we played it early in this podcast. Who knows? Maybe. Hope you loved it. Yeah. Um. So that's it. That is it. That's all we have to say about A Star is Born. It was a lot, though. All four versions. All four. One episode. Yep. So we hope you enjoyed it. Um, we hope that this little episode tides you over. We are hard at work on season two, but it's a lot of movies to watch. It is. So we're working our way through it. Um, Listen, if it was like, you probably <laughs> listen to a lot of podcasts where this is like their only job. Yeah, okay. We have other jobs. We have other jobs. <laughs> 
and we're trying okay we also got other things we like to do outside of those jobs in this podcast so it's just we're trying but we did cut cable so we, we have more we cut time cable. to exactly. watch movies exactly guys for we did that for you less hgtv more oscars okay that's right that's right, right. that's how much guys. we care about you we do you're welcome yeah so uh we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will hopefully you'll hear from us soonish <laughs> and uh now that we've talked so much about how amazing shallow is we're gonna go out listening to future oscar winning song shallow Tell me something, girl Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? I'll fall in In all the good times I find myself longing Change and in the bad times, I fear myself. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void, or do you? Oh, hard.